Every day, CT testifies to the reality that Jesus is alive, transforming his world and bringing his kingdom to bear. Jesus transforms, CT equips. Make a gift to our nonprofit ministry with a gift of $20 to provide 150 more people with redemptive storytelling, global perspective, and thoughtful podcasts. Give now at morect.com equip. The reason why I was so late to the discussion in that particular apologetic was I was concerned with sitting at the table with the John Pipers and the Tim Kellers and the D.A. Carsons. And those guys don't, their problems that they deal with aren't that. Their problems are Rob Bell, where now in my community, where it's 90, like 97% black, the apologetics that we need to deal with are issues that Moody's not teaching about. Westminster's not teaching us how to deal with five percenters, to deal with Hebrew Israelites, to deal with the nation of Islam. They'll give you a good foundation on biblical understanding. But when we're talking about engaging in these conversations and in dealing with all of the things that I think are prevalent in our community, it's anemic. Hey everybody, I'm Richard Clark. I'm the host of The Calling. I'm here today with Morgan Lee, the co-host of Quick to Listen. Hey Richard, how are you? Good, how are you today? I'm pretty excited about the guest that we have on The Calling this week, considering I got to sit in with you while you were doing the interview. Yes, you were there. It was a moment in CT history because we had show Baraka on the show. This is a fascinating conversation. We'll get to that in a moment. Before that, I want to talk really quickly about the fact that Show Baraka has had by far the blowout piece of our election update coverage. Election update? Election package, I guess you Yeah. We posted an election package recently, which was basically three views on who we should vote for or who these particular people were voting for. Yeah, it was three different evangelicals. Ron Sider is pro-Clinton or voting for Clinton. James Dobson voting for Trump. And then Show Baraka on why he's voting for neither really interesting article. Everyone should go read it. This definitely seemed like a year in which people are most apt to say neither. Yeah, I can't I mean, remember another time where people were so backslapping to be like, you're not going to vote for either me too. Right, exactly, exactly. So, Shabaraka wrote what really I found to be a remarkably rousing piece. Um, really a piece of hope and positivity in spite of sort of a sad state of affairs. So that package is in the latest issue of CT. It's coming out in a week. And if you want that issue, you can subscribe now for a low podcaster only price of $10. Just go to orderct.com slash the calling. That's orderct.com slash the calling. If you subscribe, you'll be helping support Us being able to provide three different perspectives, right? Yeah, you'll be able to support stuff like that, where we're providing the best arguments for three different things and letting you decide. We report. You decide. (laughs) We had a great time talking to show for people who don't know him outside of writing this article for CT. He is a longtime hip-hop artist in the Christian hip-hop world. He was signed to the same label as Lecrae, for those of you who are more popular with Lecrae, for a very long time before he left Reach Records this summer and went to Humble Beast, which is another big label in Christian hip-hop. And he is a founding member of a group called the Anne Campaign, mm-hmm. which is predominantly a group of urban Christians who are out of Atlanta. Not all of them are out of Atlanta, but many yeah, of them are. They're on the move these days. They're doing a lot of stuff. They're making a lot of... Uh, 
attempts to sort of change the conversation. Political conversation, the right? Political we conversation, could argue right. before that urban Christians haven't necessarily had a strong voice in the political sphere, and yeah. they are a group that's trying to change that. So we talked about a lot, and there's there's a lot in here. I won't even hand at it. If you know Show Baraka or are interested in Show Baraka, you probably know some of the places this is going. It's also very tweetable. Very tweetable, very frank, very honest. I appreciated that. So here it is. I walked into the airport thinking I was going to get on my flight and just leave. Uh-huh. And all systems were down. Internet was down. I mean, their website was down. Their app was down. All I needed was my boarding pass because I'll just carry a bag on. That's it. And they were like, no, sir, you got to wait in line. And the line literally wrapped around the building. Oh it was gosh. crazy. And so once I finally got through the security gate, they delayed the flight for three and a half hours. So it was rough. So anyway, I'm here. I'm here. <laughs> Let me stop complaining. Well, I'm sorry that you had trouble. No, I don't apologize. It's not your fault. So you're show Baraka. I am. I think you're known primarily as a rapper. Sometimes It depends. It's funny how that wavers um, from place to place. Some people don't even know me as a rapper. Some people just know me as a personality or like a, a thought leader. Really? Yeah. So what what type of people know you as a thought leader? I, I would say there are some people who, it's not a large contingency of people, but some people. So I have an organization that's called Terminus Collective. We speak a lot to uh, what it means to be, to integrate your work in faith and community. So it deals with a lot with like faith work and community development. You know, I do a lot of speaking in that. Uh, I get asked to speak on racial issues. I get asked to speak on culture issues, artistic issues. What does it mean to engage culture as an artist from a Christian perspective, um, I've had people who who know me as an individual who started a movement called the And Campaign, which is a uh, social political movement that is birthed out of Atlanta. Um, so there's potential that people who see me as a communicator and social thought leader, and then when they Google me, they'll find out like, oh, he's a rapper too. Uh-huh. He's one of those he guys. Has some who, albums. Yeah. Yeah. One of Lecrae's flunkies. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. what do you mean by flunky? That's what they would say. I'm just saying, like, I'm definitely not a flunky. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But one of the guys who helped start, so I helped start the 116 movement and Reach Records, which is the label Lecrae owns and runs. So at the beginning of every podcast, we ask a simple, hard to answer question, mm-hmm. which is how would you define your calling? How would I define it? Yeah. Um, trying to be a solutionary uh, in areas that are plagued with injustice, sin, and um, selfishness, I guess you can say. So wherever I'm placed, and I find myself trying to be a culture maker of solutions. Solutionary is not a word I'm familiar with. It's something that I've heard somebody say, uh-huh. and I decided that I was going to take that as a <laughs> title for myself and act as if I created the word myself. Nice. Yeah. So t- tell me more about the areas specifically you're interested in, where you see people being. Yeah. What are, what are the things, the the negative things you're trying to overcome? Well, Selfishness. Yeah. So I think areas of injustice and, and injustice to me is not just political injustice i think when, you, when i think about art i think you could see injustice done in, in creativity and so when you see people who exploit the image of god in art uh, whether that is the mistreatment of women whether it's the glorification of a particular act that to me is an injustice of humanity within the arts yeah and so for me what i say is there's a solution to this is create is communicating the the countercultural perspective of that. So for me, I consider myself a individual who sees so, so areas of, of plight or wherever I see er, uh, areas that um, of, of that are plagued with the fallenness of the world. Uh, I, I say, man, how can I be called to create a solution within the skill sets that God has given me? Because I see a burden, and if 
I can bring other individuals within my community of influence to address these issues, I'm all for it. And so I am the kind of person who starts a lot of things okay, and who is engaged in a lot of things. So that's why a lot of people know me for different things. Okay, yeah, yeah. that makes sense. I've been in movies. I went to film for... Uh, what movies? <laughs> okay, I will say this. I, <laughs> I don't know who's listening to this. Uh-huh. One movie that I really like, well, I will say that I like, uh, it's called October Baby, the, uh, the Irwin brothers. The, okay. the same brothers who did the football movie. Ah, what is the movie called? It just released recently. And they also did Mom's Night Out or okay. Mom, Mommy Night Out or something oh, like that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, okay, so it's like Christian thing. Yeah, yeah, it's Christian. I did that, but there's another movie I was in called The Grace Card, which is also a Christian film. So you, these are both Christian films. There's another film that, uh, I mean, I think it's on Amazon Prime. I don't think it ever went to theaters called Broken. And I helped direct the film through Reach Life, which was a nonprofit of Reach Records called Man Up. So I wrote and direct that. So I've also done like TV spots and stuff like that. But so... I studied film and television in school. I also studied anthropology, public administration, became an artist, and also decided to fulfill the passion of being a communicator, activist. And so I've traveled the world doing different things. So yeah. So what? I'm sort of a big deal. That's what I'm saying. (laughs) (laughs) So when you um, see... You, when you see these areas of injustice, like that must happen all the time. Like you see an area of injustice. Yeah, but uh, the key, uh, the key thing is areas of injustice in which I feel I'm skilled, skilled to address. Right? There are wars that need to be fought. I'm not equipped in warfare, so sure. <laughs> yeah. Or there's uh, wars in a sense of there's peace that that needs to be guarded, and sometimes you can only address those particular types of peace through warfare. I'm not equipped to do that. I'm not trained to handle that issue. I am greatly burdened. And if nobody's addressing an issue, then I will say, well, maybe I need to equip myself to be able to address this issue. If it's so, if I feel like I'm so burdened by it and it's so prevalent and nobody's addressing the issue, then I would have to learn how to equip myself in this issue. So in that sense, yeah, I mean, there are a lot of things, but there are some things that I think I am equipped to do, which I feel there can be a more immediate response from me to deal with. And so usually those are issues that deal with arts, um, that deal with social political issues. I guess you can things of community development. Those are the things that I feel like God has given me the pathways to learn and uh, and to get training in, which means I'm somewhat equipped to address the harvest. And but your your primary motivation and with all of these things is is you see an injustice mm-hmm. and you want to make it right. And I want to get paid. Yes. And you want to get paid. There's there's obviously the the great commission to go forth and make disciples, right? And I think within that context is we can't forget the great mandate that God has called us to subdue the earth and multiply. So what does that look like in the context of making disciples? Well, we disciple people with skill sets. We disciple people with personalities and we disciple people who actually work within industries. So how do we equip these individuals to maneuver within these particular industries to be effective to push back evil, to push back selfish gain, um, and to promote justice in a way that's biblically based. So for me, no matter what I do, I try to do it within the context of the auspices of the church and within the auspices of discipleship. I'm not just this rogue individual who throws on a cape and goes to fight crime at night. Like I think about God has given us an institution, which is the church, to, to address these issues. And so me, as someone who's equipped in the church to do work of the ministry, says, well, how can I train people to see their work in ways that is used to redeem the the earth to the image of God? You know, we understand that systems are broken because we have sinful people 
And so if sinful people can be redeemed, then they can also create systems that are, are beneficial for uh, those who live in and are operate within the system. So, yeah. Can you remember the time when you became aware of that calling? So I, w- I will say before I even was a Christian, I, I had this calling. You could say it's like a special, uh, like a common grace thing that the Lord bestowed on me because I've been compassionate about issues of justice since I was a kid. Now, I didn't do it in, the, in its proper context, I think. When I became a Christian, the Lord, he reshaped and reformed that for his glory. So I can remember as young as, uh, say, eighth grade, being burdened by race issues because I lived in multi-ethnic, multicultural settings. And then being a part of, well, when I was in the fifth and sixth grade, being the only black kid in the whole grade and recognizing, like, there are some conversations in these rooms that need to be had. And I hate having to be the one who has to wear the onus or the burden of the black, you know, culture and having to represent all of black people. Uh, nobody asked me to do that, but that was just the, uh, I think that was the reality of someone who was aware of who he was in a, in a context. As I grew older, I re- you know, the Lord kind of reconciled my understanding to what, I guess you can say, my position in addressing these issues and how it should look from a biblical perspective. And so that's where the calling became real. That's where the calling became really legitimate. That's why I think also we can still affirm a lot of the activism work that's done by non-Christians today, because I think in general, they're trying their best to, like they'll just say human dignity, but we know what that means for us, right? Like it's just the idea of natural law, you know, for those people who will affirm the idea of natural law, well, we say, yeah, yeah, every individual within themselves has a bent towards this common understanding as humans that we should do right to one another. And these activists have that. And so I would say at a young age, I had that. And uh, I was struggling to reconcile that for my own benefit, though. That's the problem is that a lot of folks, activism is very secular humanist and this is done for it's their own gain. Well, for me, when I became a Christian, I had to submit that unto Jesus and say, what does true activism look like? What do you mean like they do it for their own gain? Like what does that well, look like? Well, I say now like a lot of activism today is, so I think when we as Christians, we recognize that nothing exists outside the context of community. Right? So we have to submit not only ourselves to one another, but in a sense, we also submit ourselves to authority. And, uh, and then we all understand our ultimate authority is the triune God. So in our activism, everything is submitted in this this pipeline of biblical thought, right? The word, what does the word say? How does God uh, ask of me to interact and intervene in these issues? Now, when you're talking about selfish activism, when you're the Lord of your own life, when, like, when I determine what's right and wrong, then my activism looks like, well, I think about what's beneficial for me. So I think a lot of our gender uh, issues and gender conversations are, well, I feel this way. You know what I'm saying? This is what I feel. This is what I believe. And it's like, I understand your struggle. I understand your plight. And I would hate to have to wrestle with that myself, although I do wrestle with that myself in different forms and fashions. But we also recognize that if everybody just went around saying, this is what I believe is right, and therefore we should be able to exercise it, then the world would be very chaotic. At some point, we have to be we have to submit ourselves into a standard, and the Christian believes obviously that that is the truth of the gospel. Was there ever a point in your life where you doubted that calling? Every day, I doubted. I doubted it like probably ten minutes ago. Really? <laughs> when I walked in the door? Yeah, when I saw you, and I was like, "Oh, I have to do this interview for forty five minutes." <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I'm called to do this. That makes sense. I don't. Um, I doubt it when I feel like I 
people just want to do it for the applause and they want to be recognized. And sometimes I feel like I do the same thing. Like, are you doing this for recognition or are you doing this because you really want to see real change? Yeah. I doubt it when I get lots of opposition from the church, whether it's music, Christian hip hop, that's not a real thing. Or if you're a Christian, you should only be doing music like this, right? Or... Uh, social activism, the Bible doesn't speak to that. You shouldn't be concerned with social issues as a Christian. It's just only the gospel. Oh, police brutality is not a real thing. Like, you should be concerned about the dozens of shootings that happen in Chicago every week, right? Like, so these are the things that it, it's exhausting. These are exhausting conversations. And at, at some point, you're like, you know what? I just want to give this up and just be a black nationalist and just mm. and just say, you know what? I'm only going to speak to black people about these issues because black people understand these plights. And you know what? Forget the church. And, yeah. and forget white people. Is that a real temptation for oh, you? Like you, Absolutely. Yeah. I came from that kind of household. Okay. So my, my parents were pseudo-activists in the, in the Black Panther Party. And I'm not saying... so. For those who are listening, that doesn't give you fuel to say the Black, the Black Panther Party was an, a hate group. No. I, what I'm saying is it's, it's easy, and I'm saying this about any kind of activism, and I'm saying it's e- about any kind of people gathering. A lot of times there, there's good in it, but when you make it the ultimate thing, like uh, Kim Teller will say, any good thing you make ultimate thing is an idol. Yeah. And so a lot of the caution with me growing up was I, at times, I hated who I was because of the struggles that I had in the context that I grew up in, whether it would be in all black communities because I felt like I wasn't black enough. Like I didn't like certain music. I loved the Goonies growing up or I like <laughs> comic books. I'm like, yo, I want to watch this movie. And they like, that's corny. I'm like, oh, okay. Uh-huh. Or because I grew up in, uh, or the, when I lived in white communities and they thought I was just going to be the best basketball player just because I was black or they thought it was cool to, to say the N-word around me because it's like, hey, my, that's what cool people do, right? Or they just assume things of me because of my skin color or because I was judged because of, they thought I was going to steal something or I got in trouble because of, you know. So then there's this, there's this binary. And so for me, it created a lot of identity issues to where I hated white people or I hated being around certain types of black people. And as a gentleman growing up, it gave me lots of uh, ammunition to uh to aim in certain directions but the gospel truly truly in a way uh reconciled those frustrations and anger in a way that i think was very healthy now just as a sinful individual who walks this earth i still struggle with that i still struggle with uh, a lot i i have a lot of my heroes are people who uh white people would be afraid of in a sense like malcolm x like i love malcolm x a lot of his ideas i think still need to be implemented today when you talk about black people thinking about how do we change our community without looking to the white man for solutions right now if i take some of his ideas to his extremes there's going to be problems with that uh just like if i take some of anybody's ideas to the extreme, just like we, I don't esteem John Edwards the way that somebody does because I know he owns slaves. We're flawed individuals. Dwight L. Moody preached to segregated rallies. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, you know. Problematic. Very problematic. Yeah. So it's like, you know, so there's issues. There are issues that everybody has, but that doesn't, I'm able, I'm mature and I'm able enough to say, you know, there are people who I think had great wisdom and great insight. But I can also learn to um, discern those things where I think are not biblical and not helpful. Yeah, but it's not. It's that's not an automatic thing for you. It takes you kind of work, having to work through that thing. Yeah, it does that, take me to work idea. through, and it also takes me. I think I'm further along than I used to be. I will say, and I, I will do. It is. It could be a dangerous place for for someone like me, especially when you when you feel 
like you're not accepted in the evangelical movement. Do you feel that right now? Absolutely, I feel that, but not, how can I say this without sounding like I want to be a separatist? It's not in the sense that I feel, this is, this is me, I believe in tribes. I believe tribes is a, are a good thing. Yeah, I don't believe there's a problem with white people loving their whiteness at all. Okay. The problem is, is when you believe your whiteness is greater than somebody else's blackness. Same thing with me. I think that people should be ecstatic that they're black. I think they should celebrate their blackness. The problem is is when you believe that your blackness is superior to anybody else and you start to act out on that. Also, when you exclude people from your gatherings. Yeah, so that's that can be a problem with tribalism, right? So I don't fret that I go to a gathering in East Oregon and they don't understand me. Like they they shouldn't understand me. How many people are like me in East Oregon? Not that many. Right. 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 So I don't know East Oregon very well. I just do East Oregon out there because my father went to. Uh, he went, he's a duck. He went to University of Oregon. Okay. And I did go to Oregon. It was more South Oregon. I went to Bonanza, Oregon. Okay. <laughs> but first of all, it's I called know from Bonanza. The name of that town, right? Yeah, that's not going to be a super. Black so area. myself and Lecrae went down there for an event, and uh, we were the only people of, of dark complexion. But not only that, I think we were the only people who weren't wearing overalls. Uh-huh. And Bonanza. Yeah, and, and Bonanza. That's, that makes sense. And, but they loved us. Uh-huh. They loved us and they try, they, they, and we loved them. Yeah. And we got to spend a couple of days with a family and get to know this church out there. And it was beautiful because uh, I, think, I think one of the biggest egregiouses in the church is when we talk about colorblindness. I think that's it's ridiculous. It's, it's disingenuous. The point of the Imago Day and the point of Revelation 7 is to see that one day God will bring all tribes, tongues, and nations together to worship him. So we acknowledge the differences. So what I'm not about, and this is just me, this is just Shobaraka, I'm not about trying to convince people how how important I am for them to get to know. Like, that's not my goal. Like, I want you to love me. I want there to be true reconciliation and not just fake pseudo-reconciliation. I do want that. But what I'm not about is trying to tear down the walls. My, like, my goal's agenda is not to try to convince you like how many black friends you need to have. Uh-huh. Like that's not my goal. As time. opposed to what? What is the you don't well, your goal is not to the original question was like, do I feel comfortable in like evangelical settings? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. So my, my goal is not to uh, uh to desegregate a white church. Okay. Yeah. And and like teach them how to be like create this. I do think it's healthy for them if they are in a context where there are African people and their African American people, or Latino people, or Asian people within neighborhood, like in walking distance of that church, and and it still looks lily white. That's a problem. Yeah. Just like if if it's all black church in a in a community that looks diverse and there's no diversity there that can be very problematic right but for me what i'll say is uh, my goal is not to and this is and it, uh, admittedly it can get very sketchy the reason why i say i think tribes are okay is because i think people understand the people in which they grew up and live with right now there are sinful elements within those tribes that i definitely need to be reconciled and submitted unto jesus and so for me yeah i don't find myself having need the need to trying to uh integrate churches or to fit within white evangelicalism because i believe there's another narrative that i think that we've neglected which is black evangelical like how has the black church how have black uh, people contributed to christianity and what is our story and i feel like oftentimes what we've done is we've neglected the narrative within the black context to try to engage ourselves or indoctrinate ourselves into white evangelicalism where now in my community where it is 90 like 97 percent black the apologetics that we need to deal with are issues that aren't, aren't that moody's not teaching about 
Westminster's not teaching us how to deal with uh, five percenters, to deal with Hebrew Israelites, to deal with the nation of Islam. They'll give you a good foundation on biblical understanding, but when it, we're talking about engaging in these conversations and in dealing with the, the, all of the things that I think are prevalent in our community, it's anemic. Those resources are anemic, but people are so concerned with getting at the table of the white evangelicals that they ignore the plights in the community. Like if I were to ask you, and I don't want to put you on the spot, but if I <laughs> was, if I, if I was to ask you and I was to say, bruh, I am really struggling with these, uh, these 5% nation dudes who are running around my community telling me that Jesus, like Jesus isn't real, um, that it's a white man's religion, and then I need to listen to the teachings of Clarence 13X. Like, bro, help me out. What, I got this. <laughs> where would you direct me? I, don't, I got nothing. Exactly. Like, right? So, yeah. but this is the thing. You're not the only one. Like, I, I, went, I got I got a, a bachelor's in theology, uh-huh. and I got a master's in theology. Okay. I don't have a clue. Right. Yeah. It's, and so what I'm not saying is that there aren't white people out there or, not, or, or people who don't live in urban contexts who can't address that issue, because I think there are. Matter of fact, I just read a book by John Currit. Uh, he's an Old Testament scholar, and he wrote a book called uh, Against the Gods. And a lot of his resources, a lot of his polemic in that book deals with a lot of the things that, um, that black supremacists teach. In these, in these communities. Um, so there are white brothers out there who are speaking to the issue. The reason why I'm so late behind this, because this is funny, I grew up in a house where Nation of Islam was taught. My mom remarried and married, remarried a dude who's part of the Nation of Islam. So I grew up listening to Farrakhan. I grew up listening to a lot of Malcolm X. I read the autobiography of Malcolm X when I was young. Malcolm X eventually left the Nation of Islam and accepted Orthodox Muslim. But what I'm saying is, is these are the things that I grew up believing that Christianity was a white man's religion, that it was the, the religion of our oppressors. And why would any black person want to follow in the religion of the oppressor, right? Christianity was forced on Africans, and which is not true, right? But I believed this for the longest period of time. But I was going to say the reason why I was so so late to the discussion in, the, in that particular apologetic was I was concerned with sitting at the table with the John Pipers and the Tim Kellers and the D.A. Carsons. And those guys don't, they're not, their problems that they deal with aren't that. Their problems are Rob Bell. And right. <laughs> right. Does hell exist? Right. Yeah. Exactly. Because hell is real, right? Yeah. But if I follow them, then I'm going to know a whole lot about like Rob Bell. I'll know how to refute Rob <laughs> Bell from every direction <laughs> yeah. possible. God is a genius storyteller. And the evidence of this is threaded throughout scripture. In Christianity Today's new show, Holy Curiosity, with me, Kat Armstrong, we explore storied connections threaded throughout Scripture from the Old Testament to the New. Our first miniseries, Connecting Dinah and the Woman at the Well, welcomes experts like Drs. Tim Mackey and Diane Landberg to give us insight and context into the physical location and meaning of these two stories. These stories will spark holy curiosity in your own faith, because once you see these connections, you can't unsee them. God wastes no person, place, or thing. Listen and subscribe to Holy Curiosity with Kat Armstrong on your favorite podcast platform. So you you mentioned hearing the gospel. I, I assume that you heard. Did you hear the gospel in a local church context or not? Well, to be fair, yes, but it didn't really hit me. So I went in. to church. I went to church, especially in my high school years, because my father became a Christian, and I mean, like, not just a like nominal. Like he wake up early in the morning and read his Bible. 
And uh, and I used to be like, why is this dude reading his Bible? He's not a pastor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and my brother, who is a pastor, the Heidi Lewis of a church I attend, he became a Christian around the same time. They would te- they would talk to me about the gospel, but it didn't stick with me because I was on that like, well, that's a white man's religion. The church is dead. No cool people go to church. All my friends are like either Muslims or something else. Like, so get out of here. Well, in college, I went to a conference called Impact. And that's where I heard the gospel, and it really, really broke me. Why then? Well, there's a couple of reasons. I think honestly, one I think has to do with context. And it was a it was a conference where there was three like three thousand African American students. I was able to see the gospel fleshed and lived out in people that I thought didn't exist. Like I didn't know there was Christians who actually looked like me, dressed like me, and understood life the way I understood it. But believed in Jesus, and then also there was a there was a, a individual there who was actually teaching on a lot of the things that I was struggling with. Did Moses steal the the Ten Commandments from Egypt? Did he did he steal did the Old Testament steal a lot of its narrative and teachings from the Near East religions? And he would give examples on how to refute these things. And I'm sitting there like, wow, like this is amazing. But not only that, I was going through a lot of life struggles, like where my God, which was my personality and my gifting and my girlfriend, <laughs> those things were falling apart. So I was like, well, my gods are not serving me well. Like, I got to figure something else out. And my brother kept talking to me like, hey, man, you need to come to this, come to this conference, come to this conference. And so I went to a campus outreach meeting, actually. And Campus Outreach put on a um, a promotion for this very conference that my brother used to talk about, which was Impact. And I, I eventually went. And the first night there, I became a Christian. What's been like the biggest struggle you've had in uh, working out your calling? Making sure that it's done for the glory of God. Like everything, almost everything I do, it's performance-based almost. Yeah. And uh, it's, it can you can easily get intoxicated by the, by the applause and by the approval of individuals. I mean, it's... It is based, like literally, if I make terrible music, people won't, <laughs> they're like, you're a bad minister. <laughs> right, right, right. You're bad at this. You're bad at this. Yeah. And it easily can flow into thinking that I'm doing this because I'm amazing and not because I'm doing this for a God who's amazing, right? And so that's something that I, I have to fight with every day. Like every day, like, man, am I getting up to, to teach and communicate because I really believe that the words of the Lord are powerful then are sharp as a two-edged sword and can really create impact? Or am I doing this because I want people to think I'm an amazing communicator and that I'm amazing at this? So the pride of life, man, is definitely, I'm not Simon the Sorcerer, but (laughs) I'm close to him. The whole like, is liturgy the right word? Mm -hmm. Of like performing on a stage and people cheering. It is, it's, it's crazy. Uh, has inherently like caused you to struggle with pride. Yeah, and so honestly, and I've even wrestled with: is this even like is it right to even call it minist like to call this a ministry? Like obviously, everything we do, we are ministers of the gospel. But it is somewhat problematic, especially when you have award shows that honor people within Christian vocation. Like you're saying that I'm a better minister than this person this yeah. year. Next year, you'll have your chance. Have you gotten? A, <laughs> have you gotten a Dove Award? Yeah, I've been nominated, but I've never won. Okay. But I, beat you. I like to think, I can't remember. Okay. I can't remember. That's good. So I like to believe that I'm, I hold to my conviction of not attending or acknowledging them because I just don't think it's, I don't think it's healthy. But I mean, like CT gets entered in award things. Do they? We, we get excited about it. 
Well, you that's it's SCT. like a way. It's like a, <laughs> SCT. You do that's your true. thing. I mean, but but like it's a way of knowing like is the craft of what we're doing absolutely good. absolutely. And it's I hard was, to judge that from the inside. Yeah, but see, this is where I struggle. It's not only because it's one we we're in we're we working within a Christian ghetto. You're in competition with other Christians, and then you get mad when these Christians become <laughs> agenda and performer based, and they become. In rap terms, we would call it thirsty. Like they be, they get real thirsty because they're they're trying to push their career further. Like don't get mad at somebody who wants to further their career and they're going about it in very you know shisty sh- sh- ways. When every year you reward people for how well they're. They, they perform in their vocation. So, because basically you're incentivizing people to say like, okay, it's not based off the heart of what we do. It's based off how well it's received. And so now my reward is how big of a platform I have versus actually how genuine of a leader and how genuine of a communicator I am. It's corrupting. And so I, I would question the market, like Christian music market, Christian anything, film market. I, I question... How beneficial it is in the in the greater context. Now, CT is journalism. Like that's something different. Like you guys are a news source, and you guys are giving information to people, and you're doing it hopefully in a way that's above reproach. But this is my thing with capitalism, in a sense. Like capitalism, I think it, inherently it creates tensions with people. Like my goal is to make sure that I'm better than you, and to crush you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. I want to make sure that I dominate the market. Right. Right. And as a Christian, that's very problematic because I don't think that's what God called us to do. Like right. to destroy Who's our your competition is a question that is uncomfortable to answer. Absolutely. Or it should be for a Christian. Yeah. I think. It should do, be. Do you think of yourself as a Christian artist? Yeah, I do. So you I don't have a problem with people calling me a Christian artist. Christian rapper. I don't I don't have a problem with it. I don't I don't necessarily walk around waving that banner. But if somebody calls me a Christian artist, I don't I don't have a problem with it. Have you thought about crossing over? I would believe that I try to, yes. So my last album um, was called Talent Tenth, and there was an album. There was a song on that album called Jim Crow. I know this song. Okay, yeah. So if people are cool with calling me uh, a Christian artist when I make music like Nicodemus, which is a song that is like worship heavy, but it's basically a song talking about acknowledging that we are prostitutes that should have been stoned, we should have been on the cross. If you can call me a Christian artist when I make that music, I want you to also call me a Christian artist when I make. Songs like Jim Crow, when I call out racist behaviors within Christian institutions and in the world, and I use strong language to communicate that because the same person who made that song made this song, and I made it with the same heart, and I made it from the same the same posture to try to equip the church to to address issues that I think are prevalent. So that's a song where you very deliberately use like a specific language to convey. Yeah, I use idea. the N word, I use the B word, and I use I say. The garden tool, hope. Yeah, I remember that. I remember hearing that song and being like, "He's an idiot." No, I remember going. I like, and I'm. I remember. I. I mean, I got it. Whatever. (laughs) That's the grossest thing for me to say on a podcast. (laughs) But like, I understood what you were doing. Wasn't for everybody, right? It wasn't for definitely not for uh, like a lot of people. I'm not going to play that to my son when he becomes five years old. But see, this is the thing, though. I don't mm-hmm. make my music for kids. Right. Like right. I don't make the music yeah. for my kids either. Who said I was making kid music? Yeah, and yeah. that's that's part of what I say in the song. Is like the problem with Christian music is people walk up to you like, "Man, my kids love you." Man, I was like, "Well, good. I don't make music for your kids. I'm glad they like it. <laughs> I make music for yeah. adults. I'm in my 30s, and I want to make songs about uh, marriage. And if you want your kids to be listening about songs about marriage, it's great." But I make songs for people that I feel I want to connect with. I don't want to connect with teenagers. 
I don't want to connect with eighth graders because that's because that's not. There's enough people who do that. Yeah, and there's some yeah. great people who could connect with eighth graders. Right, not I. Yeah. What would you say is like the deepest fear you have about living out your calling? <laughs> this may sound shallow, but just I mean, it's cliche, but not shallow. It's sound cliche, but really like just like doing it all, and at the end of the day, it being like you built your own kingdom. It's like mm. you know, like did I really? I'm building something. And did I have the fortitude to understand, like, while I was building it, that it's not my own statue, that it's actually building for the kingdom of God? And I would say that's definitely a genuine concern in one sense that I don't want to, I don't want to work on the temple and then God be like, I didn't ask you to do that. Or the there's a lyric in one of my songs I say, climbing the ladder of success on the wrong wall. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't want that either. And I don't want people to feel like, and then also to feel like, man, I've done all this work in vain and it's really created no impact with in any regard. You know what I mean? I want to look back and say, even if there wasn't multitudes of people who were impacted, at least there was some sort of impact that was created from the work that I did. And, I, and I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad the Lord used it. So to know that you're not doing those things, what are you looking for? Like, what's the concrete thing that you're, watching for to make sure that you're not building your own kingdom well i think one there's 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 three things that come off the top of my head is one is working as unto the lord uh, working in a biblical context so like what is the word like staying consistent i'm not gonna say i don't read the bible enough but i definitely try to filter everything i threw through the biblical lens of scripture right the other thing is also making sure i have a community of people around me who are like-minded, who uh, will be honest with me, who will rebuke me, who will encourage me, and who won't just be yes people, people who will make sure like, hey, this was the vision. Are you still living according to that vision? Hey, show you're making a left here. Show you're making a right here. But then also, in everything I do, not being ashamed to communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ, not only just in word, but in, in deed. Can you give me an example of a time when someone said, this is a left? For those people who don't know me, I traveled, like I was, I was a part of the 116, Reach Records, helped start it all. I left in like 2011, 12. Around that time, we were touring. I mean, they still tour, still travel, but we were touring pretty heavy. And from the stage, I would constantly t- like admonish people in the crowd to be a part and committed to the local church. Like, you should be submitted to your elders. You should be submitted to the authority in church. Don't be a rogue Christian. Don't think that you can just create community apart from... No, you can't live this Christian life apart from the context of community. Do this, do this, do this. Well, the funny thing is, is we're out here preaching this every night. We're out here performing these songs while ourselves not being a part of... We're not being submitted to a local church for real, for real. Like, we all were members of a church, but they had no real say in what we did. You know, I'm missing church for months. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Because I'm traveling the world being famous. I am uh, not really serving the body in the in my local context in the in the way that I committed that I said that I would be committed to doing and I had my brother and other individuals in our church had that real conversation is like who what are you like so at the end of the day are is this just talk for you and that's when I realized I was like man I I, I can't just talk about the commitment to the local church and the ruling uh elders in our body but I have to really be about it and so you have to start prioritizing like, okay, well, I need to be back on these dates. I need to be a part of this community. I need to open my house. I need to be a part of the community. I need to be able to allow not only the church to speak to me, but I have to give my gift to the church, not just the greater universal church. So that was one context that I thought was very 
helpful and uh, and beneficial for me. And this is another thing. I think artists, especially um, any kind of platform leader, it's almost like we've created <laughs> another office in the church because sometimes artists are more popular than the pastors that they the churches they attend. And so you hijack the authority of the church because they know that I need you to bring people because your name, you bring people to the church for me yeah. while at no time having no real commitment to us or the church. And I, and I realized that was me for a while. People would come to my church because I would say, this is the church I go to, but there was no real commitment that I had for my church. And so I got challenged on, what are you doing? And so I started coming early to stack churches, to work with the children, just to be present. If you could get into a time machine and go back in time and tell yourself one thing, what would it be? Um, it's a whole lot of stuff. It could be anything. You could tell yourself one thing. And it doesn't have to do with church and Christian stuff? It has to do with anything. You, you go back in time. Okay, I wouldn't play sports. Self. Don't play sports. Don't play sports. <laughs> Don't play sports. Why wouldn't you want to play sports? I wasted years thinking I was going to go to the NBA and okay. NFL. Yeah. Yeah, I wish I would have done something else. You're really invested in the N- NBA and NFL. Oh, bro. Like, I've wasted hundreds of thousands of hours. Yeah. Like, if not practicing to become some great athlete, giving my brain to the knowledge of, like, like who's playing here? What position? Do, like, stuff that does not benefit me in any way today. Right. So I would tell myself to, to like, play an instrument or dedicate that time to, being a, to, to play an instrument, reading more. Yeah, I would say that's, that's one thing that came to mind. I would tell myself, don't play sports. It's okay. They'll make fun of you, but you'll, in the long run, you'll be laughing. You have been listening to The Calling, Richard Clark, interviewing show Baraka, hip-hop artist and founding member of the Ann Campaign. You can follow show on Twitter at Amisho Baraka, A-M-I-S-H-O-B-A-R-A-K-A. Please rate and review the show on iTunes. It's not enough just to be like, that was a great episode. You actually need to go do something about that. And it really helps us a lot. The Calling is produced by Cray Allred, theme music by Lee Rosevier, which is used under Creative Commons 4.0. You are welcome to hit us up at CT Podcasts on Twitter or at Facebook.com slash CT Podcasts, and we're always happy to hear your comments and thoughts there. I'm Richard Clark, the host of The Calling, and I approve this message. Peace.